Welcome to another conversation with my future skills, the podcast where I talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talk to Kaimudi Goda. KG is the founder of The Human Conversation and is appointed as an advisor for human capital and sustainability in business as IGs at the Indian School of Business. As a people and culture strategist, DEI consultant, executive coach, and lawyer, KG has helped transform organizations through serving as a non-executive director and a C-suite advisor. This time, we're saying goodbye to the individualistic approach to problem solve. We're making the case for ethics, consistency, and commitment as the driver for effective collaboration, and we're hoping to contribute to the creation of a space where people don't focus on their discomfort so they can actually do their best work. I hope you enjoyed the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Kaur Moody on psychological safety. And imagine you're at a party and people ask you, what is it that you do all day? What do you answer them? I help make workspaces more empowering and inclusive. How does that look like? What do you do actually? What, what, what are your... Day-to-day tasks. I contend with organizations to help them identify what their leadership development needs are. Mm -hmm. Um, And that could take in the form of uh, one-on-one coaching for their leaders, for their leadership team and team coaching setting, or consulting around developing strategy for specific needs around leadership development. That could be leadership training on certain aspects. Um, It could be identifying what they need to change in their structures, processes, and planning for how to build a talent pipeline. Um, That could take in the form of helping develop communities of support for inclusion within their organizations, develop ERGs, um, train the ERG leaders, uh, help facilitate conversations where they can be honest with each other. Today we're talking about psychological safety, Saskia, and that simply doesn't come about magically on its own. Uh, companies have to focus on it and specifically take steps to engender that, uh, embed that into their organization. So these kind of things that they need, these initiatives and interventions, I'd be a consultant who'd come in and help them work on it. Okay, that that is a mouthful. <laughs> well, I am okay. absolutely passionate about it. In my view, and you and I have exchanged views on this, I think that interventions, um, strategies, visioning, they need a more holistic approach. Um, I think a purest view of just do one thing and pick only that stream to focus on is no longer perhaps a great fit for the world that is rapidly evolving, very uncertain, and it's a clash of cultures, generations, and disciplines all around us. Is anything now more than ever, we need people who can look at different aspects and bring that those aspects together, connect the dots and see the bigger picture. And that's my view in my own life, but also in the way I help clients. You just mentioned the holistic view on the whole thing. And I totally agree. Like that's a lot of my mojo as well. Like we need to see the whole picture, right? We need to, we can't just look at, at single events or single occurrences and 
extrapolate from those on the whole big picture, right? And and it just raised another thought in my head because we're living in times where individualism is such a big part, right? We're we're very individual, which can be a good thing. I'm not um, condemning that as a whole, but especially in in companies, there's very much individualism going on. And it's also, you see that in the hero stories, right? It's always that one leader that saves the company. Um, And I was just thinking if the individualism that we have in people translates into the individualism that we see in in reasons for something that we tend to ignore everything else and just focus in on that one thing because we're kind of used to it um and the question maybe how do we come back to that holistic worldview in your experience as for also a mouthful I actually understand that. And I think we see the results all around us. Uh, through COVID, we notice how different communities, different societies, different families, even different people respond, right? There were some who felt my individual liberties and the way I want to respond to this catastrophic development. I want to have control over that. I want to decide for myself. And there was also a segment of people who felt more safe in a community, inside a, um, a, a bigger than themselves entity. And they stand safe in those communities where they all agreed and cooperated and collaborated with each other. Those are individual needs. Some feel this deep need for independence and freedom, uh, have control, and others feel safety in numbers. And those are inherently different needs. And to your points, when you impose that uh, variance of human need, um, your preference on organizations, what does that look like? On one hand, you're correct. We do have the charismatic alpha a personality type of leader that everybody reveres, right? We love as um, humanity to build people up. We worship at the order of charismatic leaders very individual or visionary or rebels who will break the mold. Um, at the same time, we have seen that leaders far more compassionate and need to progress where I can probably bring my brilliance if I think independently and seriously bring an idea. And at the same time, because we're both in a team, there are moments when it's very, very important that I collaborate and cooperate with you and have the self-confidence that if I help Saskia succeed, if I help her be her most brilliant self, together we'll be in a better place. And so we need both. both. We need both confidence, chase after and, and express ourselves in our individualities, but also recognize absolute importance of working together. Because the, the individuality of human beings is marvelous, but also uh, the beauty of our compassion, uh, our tenderness, I uh, desire to help each other, right? That's some of the most beautiful things in the world are coming from that uh, compassion, that sense of um, empathy towards each other. Yeah. Oh, you're completely right. And you make me think about, you probably know the saying, one and one is three. 
expressing that when two people or several poets come together, we create something that's bigger than each of us could have uh, created on their own. And it just occurred to me that we normally focus on the, if we work together, we can create something bigger. We, create, we focus on the three, right? But also it shows that each one of us has to put an input because without the ones in the equation and the point before the uh, equality sign, you wouldn't have anything. So right. the individual contribution is still valid and important. Yes. But also bringing different people together and, well, enabling them to work together is yeah. what creates the three and what creates that bigger picture. And, and this is why um, as a, a trained lawyer and someone who's very driven by logic and uh, rationality, I find myself to be very passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mm -hmm. think that it's not merely a nice to have in organizations, exactly as you pointed out. If you and I are in a team, it's really important that we are appreciated and encouraged to be who we are individually. That's diversity. I am different from you. Even if we grew up in the same town, went to the same school, have the same kind of families, have the same kind of socioeconomic cultural background, everything being same, nevertheless, you and I are going to be very different individuals because we yeah. are two different human beings. And so that's diversity. Whoever we are, whoever we are, we are different and equally important. The second then is equity. Perhaps you like that freedom. Perhaps you like um, highly motivating, um, dynamic environment. And perhaps I'm an introvert and I like quite a workspace and I, I want to be able to work from home two days a week. And you're like, let's do it four days a week, gone away. And both of us deserve the work environment where we can do our very best. That's equity. Let's treat Saskia and give her what she needs in the workplace to be her best. And let's treat Daisy the way she wants to be treated. And inclusion then is making sure that both of us feel we're in the same boat, working in the same directions, and we are equally having the say in the direction that the team is taking. Because then we have this sense of commitment, this sense of we are together, we are one. And that is the psychological sa safety that develops through DEI work. And which is the reason why I, I really believe it's not a nice to have. It's very central to how individuals can come together and how one plus one makes three. For that to happen, we need DEI. I heard an interesting thing once. Um, diversity is being invited to the party. Equality is being asked to dance. Inclusion is not even needing permission to dance. Yeah. And I really like that. Because yeah. um, especially the inclusion part, like we say DEI, but mostly we focus on the diversity part or maybe the equality and inclusion. I personally don't see that very often. Um, when in fact that is, let me make an example. Um, 
you have a boardroom, right? And you have a woman on the boardroom and you have a black person and you have a gay person. And if you just in include them from a diversity aspect, like, okay, we need to have that, that's window dressing, right? They need to be empowered. They need to be um, able and they need to be in a position where they actually feel secure enough to mm. contribute, to offer their individual view yeah. uh, and not just be there as a proxy. Um, 100%. And, and that's what's missing, what we don't really discuss about. And, well, I, I can talk about that a bit from the, from the German perspective, um, that being my background and, and where I worked a, uh, for many, many years. Um, a lot of the boardrooms haven't understood yet why just putting a woman on board um, doesn't solve their problem. Why just putting a woman on board just doesn't magically make the company a better place. Why just putting that woman on board doesn't magically um, make them or ha make them have a better public appearance. And why they still hear that thing of, oh, you're just pinkwashing. Because they didn't inhale, I want to say, what it actually means and what the actual work behind that is. The work isn't finding a woman that is sitting on the board. Um, the work is including that woman and creating the ground where that seed can actually flourish. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to circle back a moment to the, the nuance uh, and the um, importance of uh, distinguishing between equality and equity. Equality mm -hmm. is uh, ensuring everyone is treated exactly the same, which is important. It, it originates from the civil rights movement when we said give women the right to vote just as men have a right to vote. Treat people of all backgrounds, ethnicities, um, and origin the same way. And that's equality. Equity is a slightly more evolved concept, Saskia, where we are saying exactly what you're talking about. It's not enough to have diversity, to invite different people to the party. It's about, you have them around the table, is each being treated the same way? So for example, if I were very short and I'm still on a tiny footstool, and my head is below the table. You have me at the table, but I don't really feel like I'm participating in the conversation because I'm, my chin is not even about the table. And similarly, if it's a very, very tall person and their feet don't even fit under the table and you've given them a high, high chair, they're going to be completely uncomfortable and focused on their discomfort and how awkward they're looking. And they'll not really be able to freely, fully focus on the work that's being done. So equity then, is not just the importance of inviting everybody, but treating them the way they want to be treated so that they can then forget about everything else and just focus on being their best. In order for that to happen, we need to ask them, what do you need to do your best here and provide that? That might be different from what, what KG is asking for, might be different from what Sansky is asking for. And therefore, when... You don't shame me for having a different need. I need, my, my vision is poor, so therefore I need software, speech to text software. You don't make me feel awkward for needing that. If I say that I need a ramp in the restroom, you don't make me feel awkward for needing that. You don't say, oh, it's such a pain in the neck that, oh my gosh, you, you need 
more leaves because your parent is sick often. Um, these are small little paper cuts that they end up making somebody feel, this is not worth my while. They say they want me and they make me feel horrible every day for just being who I am. Mm -hmm. Who they knew I was, I shared that this is who I am. And so that's important. That's psychological safety, isn't it? That is equity. Equity is giving people what they need so they can forget about their surrounding circumstances and just focus on doing their best. And then, of course, it's the inclusion part, which you're talking about. So many organizations, just like you, Saskia, have helped so many organizations with fields performative, this incredible pressure today to say the right thing. Society, human beings have expectations from corporates and from leaders. Say the right thing. Don't make a missteps. Everyone's scared. They want to put the message out and market themselves as inclusive companies. But they say it. Either they don't know how to actually make that a reality or they simply do not have that as a priority. And therefore, what ends up happening is I have been invited to consult with so many organizations where the boards, exactly as you've put it, have sought exact diverse talent. And then either those people are quitting midway or refusing to come back and or people are simply not applying because the word gets around, the vibe gets around. If you say you're an inclusive company and your leadership all looks exactly the same homogenous thing, you may be saying something, but the message you're putting out in the world is only this, what you're seeing here is going to succeed in my company. Why would I apply if I see I don't get a chance, I don't belong in that picture? You said something, and I want to circle back to that um, point. Only if we have a certain level of psychological safety in a company, we can share who we are. And I was wondering, because a lot of people come from an environment where they were not allowed to share. Business world until now was not made to share who we are. There's that one standard way of working, one process that we're dealing with. So how do we figure out what we need so that we can share? It's an excellent question, Saskia. And you know, um, I think you're also bringing up an important point. To what extent is it practical? Is it reasonable? And how can individuals also adjust their expectations to what is realistically possible, right? I cannot expect to be uh, morally coddled and indulged in, in all of my various hobbies, interests, passions, when what those are, uh, are not at all relevant to work. So there needs to be a balance there. I'm always the number one advocate for moderation. Um, understand what is possible, what is not possible. I'll give you an example of what psychological safety and moderation would look like in today's workspace. Uh, we've had a, a terrible plan of it collectively as a world last three years, which has been one of the contributing factors amongst many others to uh, what looks like a very, very tough year ahead, right? Recession is looming in a lot of industries and a lot of countries and a lot of companies. In addition, there's so much uncertainty around disrupted supply chain and natural disasters everywhere, climate change. A lot is going on. What this has meant is both employees for individuals 
are feeling the pressure and the humongous stress and trauma. All of this chaos, disruption and uncertainty. Companies are too. In all of this uncertainty, how can organizations continue to provide um, basic care so that their employees can actually do their best? And in the crunch time, you and I know this as people who work with teams, when it's really important that the output is good, stressing your team out, freaking them out and driving them does not always yield the best results. You need to continue to motivate them, give them a sense of purpose. There's an, I've got you. You don't worry about it. You do what I'm telling you and then all end up being okay. As a leader, you need to provide that, right? At the same time, I'm sure there's tremendous stress for managers or leaders of companies because then they're answerable to their investors and answerable to um, the profit um, or loss of that company. And therefore, we all need to be a little bit more compassionate towards each other. After all, go back to the first and really important point you made. We are one and one. And those are the parts that make up the three. So as an individual and you're my manager, I need also be compassionate about the incredible stress you're probably experiencing in managing me and all special that's on you. That can be how I show psychological safety towards you. Boss, tell me what we need. Tell me what we need to focus on. Let's be understanding that we're all in terrible chaos. That I can bring, right? I can't be spoiled that and say, well, I, I told you I need to hire 10 people this summer and you're not giving me those 10 people and therefore, you know, this project can't happen. Well, Saskia's not in charge of that. It's, it's you know, it's recession time. There's a hiring freeze. She can't help it. So I can show psychological safety towards you. I can create that towards you by moderating my expectations and be understanding of what it is you need. Similarly, you can be a little bit more understanding, even though there's tremendous pressure in the organization and the economy. Is, a, is an intense spin. I'm still a human being. You're still a human being. We are the one who's at three. Therefore, you could ask me, how are you doing, KG? Look, it's crap. I know the pressure's intense. Both of us are wondering whether we're going to lose our jobs. But the human beings first. And as long as you and I are working next to each other, what can I do to support you? And listen, we'll be okay. It's, you can be human beings towards each other, even with Everything else feels like it's going in a tailspin. And that is how managers and individual employees and reportees can create psychological safety in much smaller settings where they can still control what they create with each other when everything else is out of their control. I think it comes from, or that, at least that's my, my opinion, is that it does come from a very old understanding of how work is managed. Um, it comes from an industrialized standpoint of here's the conveyor belt. You're standing there. You're putting in a screw. This is one task that is, well, simple, quote unquote, um, that does, once you learned it, doesn't need you to focus on it, to, on, to question it every time. Um, but we have been shifting as a society more and more towards knowledge labor, towards yes. labor that is done with our head, our emotions, our body as a whole, yes. and not just one part of it. For example, the head that put in, puts in the screw. Um, 
And I don't think a lot of companies have understood that yet, where the difference is in that managing that work between a, an industrial setting and the knowledge worker setting. Um, and well, I, I would even argue to say the pressure approach didn't really work in industrial times either. Um, it was very much fear-based, um, but they could cope with it. They could get through with it. But in, in today's time, first of all, where things are not very manual labor anymore, or very much focused on manual human labor anymore. Um, and also where we need to feel good to use our brain. Yes. We need to shift approaches on how to manage. And why would we? Well, but that's, I, I know that's a naive question, but uh, why would we still use the pressure approach? Why would we continue those systems when we see that we could do so much better if we wouldn't? Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, it's also about innovation. Given that everything else is uncertain and everything is rapidly changing, that conveyor belt system is no longer possible because you don't know what's going to come down the conveyor belt first of all for you to fix. And you don't know what is going out into either. So given that everything's constantly shifting and evolving, uh, it's all the more reason why we need to focus on individual and um, to bring back the concept that you so brilliantly are, uh, put out there at the beginning is that individual versus collectivist. It's very easy for us when we work in a larger setting um, to think, oh, it's bigger than me. I have no control. I find that leaders in particular tend to frequently underestimate the power and influence they have in the culture they build. A culture can literally be between even smallest team, the smallest unit of interaction. Culture is the way I show up for my colleagues. Am I able to listen to them? If they share something, am I immediately triggered and reactive based on who I am and what I'm thinking? Or am I able to pause and really just listen to you and then ask you, what can I do to support? That one interaction that could change your day by making it better or worse. And oftentimes all of us tend to underestimate the influence we wield over um, others through our interactions with them. And so therefore that individualism that you talked about, that's where we can use that for good by recognizing I bring in a certain energy, um, a, a certain influence over other people. So how can I show up today, given everything the way it is, to make somebody else feel welcome, to make them feel empowered, supported, appreciated, um, so they can do their work well, just, just so they can feel good. And similarly, how can I articulate what I need in a respectful way? And it's not put all of the support on individuals, but I think that's a good unit to start with, to remember that as everything feels topsy-turvy, we are still human beings and we are making these systems. Therefore, we have the power to change them. And once we look at that that way, it doesn't become an intimidating, impossible to change thing. The system's bigger than me. I can do nothing. Yes, we can, because we're all human beings. We can change it together. But for that, we need to be humble and we need to be able to take feedback on it. And we need to create psychological safety so that you can actually give me feedback. If you feel I'm going to snap your head off, if you tell me anything, and you won't, then I never learn what I do badly 
you'll just leave because we all know that famous saying, right? People leave their managers. They don't leave the companies. And so I need to be able to make it okay for you to give me feedback. KG, the way you spoke today was upsetting. Or you tend to shut people down when you both like their ideas. But that idea was actually good. Could help the, the organization. So psychological safety there. And as I'm saying it, I want to acknowledge that systems and structures that become embedded, like you pointed out, like that uh, industrial revolution-based systems and processes now feel like the natural lord of the world. And they feel it's really hard to shift. This is how it is. We're inhabiting this matrix. Um, and sometimes that can feel very suffocatingly powerful. So I do want to acknowledge that those exist and those are problematic and those will need dismantling and rethinking in a much more healthy way, as we are doing it, this is certainly something I can immediately take away and do. Tomorrow, if I show up for work, if I can be a bit more conscious about how I'm showing up for my colleagues, how I'm showing up um, in terms of articulating my healthy boundaries, that's already one step forward in making my immediate environment a bit more low. Right. Just while you were talking, I remembered that uh, I think it is attributed to James Clear, but it could be somebody else who in, uh, in instigated that in the first place. You don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to tweak that a bit. Because I think you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your theories. Because the theories you have in your individual system, in your body, in your brain, but also in your company, and you Beautiful. just mentioned the culture. What is culture? Beautiful. All of those things are very much based on what we think and the theories we put out on the table and that we then act on, right? So, yeah, what, what is culture? We can talk about it as a big thing, like typically it's the culture of a nationality, for example, or a certain geographical um, area. Um, or we might talk about the company culture, but mostly what we talk about is like somebody stated something and this is our culture now. How much of that can you actually make explicit and how much is, is just tacitly in the system? that you don't uncover. So as long as you don't look at that and as long as you don't look into your theories, you won't rise to the level of your goals because you can't even fall back. Like you don't even know what you fall back to. You, you just hit the ground and you don't even notice it that you're flying towards it because you don't so know what you're dealing with, right? So spot on. That's beautiful, Justia. 100% agree. And, and, and of course, in order for somebody to point out the systems, the embedded biases we have, what we don't see are blind spots in terms of what we're accepting as absolute true, because that's all we know. We need to have somebody else come and point out the emperor is actually naked. You know that famous story <laughs> that Little Kid points out. Unless we invite diverse voices, fresh perspectives, all kinds of ideas in and make it okay make it safe for them to speak up and make ourselves vulnerable enough so we can actually hear each other, embrace the feedback. Evaluate it, of course. You don't have to take everything everybody tells you as the absolute truth. You should evaluate and assess for yourself. But the ability to listen to each other 
to make it okay for somebody else to talk, speak up. And then when they speak up, actually listen, take on board and really with a new trait, curious mentality, look at it. Unless we do that, we can see what we don't see. And those blind spots continue to perpetuate and those terribly unfair, inefficient systems continue to be the norm. Yeah. Tragedy, I think. It is. And picking up on the tale of the emperor has no clothes, because in that tale, there are a lot of people who just decide to look away and not literally look away and don't look at the emperors, but just ignoring the fact yeah. and actively making the decision to ignore the fact that he's naked, right? So it's that the personal personal safety, because there is a lot of safety in that as well. I don't feel safe enough to point out that the emperor is actually naked. Um, But there's also a lot of, how would that touch my comfort if I would point it out? So how can we make, or the, the question would be that, in my opinion, companies have to ask themselves is how can we create that space where people feel their comfort not threatened because there's a difference between uh, leaving your comfort zone and running full scale into the dagger um, that might kill your career or your your standing in the company. Um, And the other thing is, how do we get those people who decided to look the other way back to focusing what's actually happening? I think those are the, the two big questions around that. And I think that's brilliant. I absolutely adore the way you look at things. Uh, in my opinion, I'm saying inclusion is important. If I'm saying we want to do things the right way, if sustainability, whatever value strategically that the organization puts out there, the team, the manager puts out there saying, this is important to me. Even if it's inconvenient. Even if it's temporarily looking like it doesn't serve our immediate short-term gain, being committed to that is important because it creates trust. If I'm saying certain values are important and I'm walking the talk, and even if it's not convenient, I'm still staying path. What that does is it creates trust in people that we can go by the word. We can go by what is put out there. That's really important. Because if I feel, I never know if my boss still throw me under the bus, the second it becomes inconvenient, I'm always going to be on the lookout for attacks. I'm always going to be playing defensively and will never relax enough to fully trust. That's the opposite of psychological safety. In my opinion, ethics, consistency and commitment to values and purpose is really important. That is how culture is truly there. Uh, in the way that you want to design it. Otherwise, it becomes a set of behaviors that are, as you called it, um, not surfaced, but they're tacitly there, right? It's implied. People don't talk about it, but that's the bad form. Good form would be whatever you're saying is important. However you want people to behave, you stay aligned to it and committed and consistent. So one is ethicality of organizations and teams. The second one is making it okay to talk. That means if someone comes up with an idea and instantly say, that's ridiculous. Or listen, kid, 
you've just been an intern for two months. So I think this time just watch us because this is not always how things are being done here. What happens there? You may have just been indulgently or patronizingly talking to an intern, but you send the message out to everybody that you have certain standards that you expect when people open up in a team. And that automatically has a shushing effect. Or if somebody says something and the leader immediately says, I know, I know all that. That's not what I want to hear. What happens? Immediately, people are backpedaling, thinking, okay, now before I talk, before I come up with an idea, I need to make sure they don't dismiss me in a team setting. So the second thing then is when we say we want innovation, we want good ideas, we want the team come together and bring their best. We need to genuinely make efforts and be very mindful about how we respond when people speak. That means even if someone blows the whistle on us and calls us out on something and says something negative, we need to hold that space with respect. All right, fair enough. Thank you for trusting me to say that out loud. Help me understand a little bit more or give me some time. If that's something that I wasn't expecting and I want to think through it for a response, what happens there is you bind yourself sometimes and I'm committing to a response, but you're still holding that space where you respect the right of your team member to speak. And those small little ways in which we respond goes a long way to making it okay for people to speak up. Otherwise, exactly as you pointed out, everyone could turn their eyes away. They'd never call out the emperor is naked because it's, it's not okay for them to stay, speak it. Or they fear that it's going to change the safety that they experience, the relative anonymity flying under the radar, how safe their respective careers are, how safe their path is, how safe their relationship. All of that will feel jeopardized, they're putting in talk. Which is, you end up being unaware of just how debilitatingly naked you are, right? Yes. That's the stinking one, is psychological safety is um, really created in the way we respond to people, even when what they're seeing is inconvenient to us. We should hold that space. And the third one is actually having a table where those different voices exist. If we have, for operational efficiency's sake, the person who speaks the same languages as I do, who's also a lawyer just like me, who also cares about DEI just like me, and those kind of people are easiest for me to get along because we understand each other, we work super fast, I would, Unless we have an engineer, unless we have a marketing person, unless you're a finance person, to think differently, to point out things we're not thinking about, we won't progress because we'll just be talking in an echo chamber, happily, you know, reinforcing each other's notions, and we never get any other idea and we never innovate and solve any problems beyond what we can see. And therefore, diversity is third. So to summarize the things, I believe, my personal opinion. One is ethics, consistency and commitment to stated values. Second is making it genuinely okay for people to speak up in the way we respond. And the third one is actually having those diverse voices to be at the people. Otherwise, you won't get those different perspectives. So you'll be invalid. Yes, so completely right. And I was just thinking, because... Our brain only has so much of a bandwidth, right? Like, there's only so much we can deal with. 
And if you don't create those settings with those parameters that you just so wonderfully said, you're making your, your people use their bandwidth of on navigating the company life rather than actually putting their energy to what's happening out there. Yeah. What can I focus on? How can I bring the company forward? What ideas can I bring in? And we're living in a world, let's be honest, nobody can know anything ever again. The moment I learn something, somebody on the internet already knows <laughs> it differently, right? Yeah. So I, 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 we live in that time where our knowledge is so vast and so rapidly changing and there is no knowledge hub anymore. Like you can't know it all. You need different people to focus on different things and bring that knowledge together and exchange. So if you take the bandwidth of, of your employees and make them focus on how do I navigate company lives, you can't really grasp all the things that are out there. And that will, in the end, at some point, bite you in the behind, right? In Actually, it's already happened, uh, Saskia. Very unfortunate. So through COVID, the way people were ruthlessly laid off, we had the whole great resignation wave, right? Because of that, because you're killing yourself, working nonstop, the great um, stress and trauma, and people were still losing their jobs. So that was one really bad blow to trust overall of people in systems and organizations. And of course, now, just as things were beginning to um, sort of perhaps link um, back to normalcy from the trauma, we've had this wave of uh, big tech layoffs. And these were the same organizations that have been uh, raking in billions of dollars. Disproportionately, the the money is uh, with big tech. Uh, they have the ones pushing the overlap in terms of development and rapid um, evolution, right, of everything around us. So on one hand, these organizations are raking those billions in. And at recruitment time, they say the reason why you have eight 12 rounds of interviews that take over three to six months for you to get into our organization is because once we have you, we are going to take such good care of you. And then carpet is pulled under your feet overnight. And the same organizations that were innovating around the AI practices, we want to have paternity leave, we want to have adoption leave, we want to have semanticals for you to study. We will fund your ideas. All of this overnight pulled I mean, there were stories of people who had just been given paternity leave after encouragement from the organization. We want to support you. Go take the time you need. Two weeks later, when they were on paternity leave, they lost their jobs. These are stories, right? And what that does is absolutely annihilates any trust any employee has. Because now and when they hear we have an inclusive organization, our employees are like our family members and we take, take care of you, then like, uh -huh, give me another story. I'm not buying this anymore, right? It's just gone. Yeah. And the question is, if you can pull the rug out from under that, like that, how solid was it actually part of the company structure? And well, yes. I kind of know the answer to that because the moment you can uh, take it out like that. Uh, yes. 
you know, it, it's not anchored in the company. If the company can continue to do what they're doing without a big um, impact, although depending on the impact that you're talking about, um, I, I think it will have an impact. It won't necessarily have a monetary impact, but it will definitely have an impact on, on how we view those companies. And as you just said, how the employees view that companies, how they will, uh, they, they won't just join Google anymore just because it's cool working at Google and I have a job at Google. This won't happen anymore, right? They will say, okay, I want to work at Google. You need me. I have the skills. I want this, 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 and this. And the, they can't sit on their reputation anymore um, of being a cool employee, of being so offering everything. And uh, yeah, it, it, it will also be an interesting thing to see because big tech has been kind of like a blueprint for how other companies do hiring, how other companies do, do company culture. Um, because, well, they also wanted a share of the cake, right? They also wanted the good employees. And so they kind of had to agree. Yeah. Now that big tech is kind of jumping off that boat, how will other companies follow? Will they double in on their efforts? Because now there's a lot of talent out on the market. Or will they say, well, Google doesn't need it. We probably won't need it either. So, so what does that do with the, with the whole movement after? that that's fascinating that's a fascinating perspective uh, and then a grim one um and, and i think this is why these conversations are so important saskia because imagine if you will as uh, i know this is the whole purpose of the conversations you're having with various people is to create the community of voices that are actively thinking and that, that's so important because and it could be have missed because point of making is important and i had not thought of it just thinking along the lines of how important it is for all of us to collectively recognize the importance as as individuals. Um, you know, let's not let's talk about the three factors of psychological safety. Ethics are important. Don't say I'm satisfied in employment. All of this stuff is important when you drop it like a hot potato. Uh, at the minute you get into me and I need to do something. There's got to be a way in which we can address these very real corporate problems, organizational level problems, when still um, not keeping dead in the water our values, while still respecting human rights, the fact that the individuals and families dependent, can we not completely throw that out the second it becomes inconvenient? So the canity, I believe, was really, really important. And one of the ways in which I was thinking about it is perhaps when a decanity feels uncertain at an organizational level, if that guidance is absent or is endangered, if we can still continue to fo focus on the moral compass as human beings, how would we like to be treated? And what's the way in which we can create least harm and possibly create the most regenerative value in, in our daily actions? That is along the lines I was thinking. But you are right. The grim outlook is these innovators, um, these trendsetters in how organizations take care of people, if they are faltering, the ripple effect and other industries and other organizations that typically tend to pick up these trends 
uh, you're looking at a far greater negative impact. And that's really saddening to think about. Well, to be honest, I'm not sure if we're necessarily looking at a group Because um, there are two ways to it, right? There are, as I said, people can double in on the offering it environment to, to attract that talent that is now out there. Or they can follow the big tech company. So I'm, I'm not sure yet if I wanna if I wanna settle in on one way. Yeah, um, I hope that that's true. I hope that the talent, yeah, the importance of talent is obvious to everybody, and ultimately it becomes a seller's market in terms of talents. Then being able to date, as you pointed out, here's what I need. You want me to help you fix your problem. Here's what you need to do for me. And I think that would be an excellent way for us to balance out the inordinate power that had shifted previously on the hands of few and to bring it back a little bit more and slightly democratize the market. Yes. Yes. And I think there are a lot of, well, let's say the positive examples are getting louder and louder. Um. So I think one key question that it will decide on which side companies fall to, uh, between the two that I made up, there are probably more sides to that, between the two is when you ask the, yourself the question, what is the right thing to do? What is your definition of right? Um, is the right thing to do the profitable thing to do? Is the right thing to do the ethical thing to do? How do you define right, quote unquote, for you? That will probably define on which side you fall. And yeah, we'll see. I, I have a very loyally answer to that. I think the answer to that, what is the right thing to do? Um, the answer to that, in my perspective, is it depends. I think we have to respect that. Um, there is no one picture-perfect solution that works. Anytime you try to facilitate a team conversation, a conversation, you immediately realize there are a thousand different ways to solve for the same problem. And each person who suggests a solution, they're using all of this untotal of their life experience, their competencies, skills, a professional outlook, trust that solution. And that solution for them solves the problem that in their viewpoint is a priority. And you will notice that the person sitting right next to them can have a different way of solving that comes from all of their experience and competence. And that's also important. There is no, not ever one perfect right thing to do that fits everybody. And many times the problems they're seeking to solve are wicked problems. Fix one piece, something else goes uh, off, right? And so we need to know that collectively, holistically, it's much more complicated and layered very often. And that there are more than one ways to do it. And therefore, what's the best way then, in my opinion, is collectivism. To come together, collaborate, understand, agree on some direction, agree on some purpose, some base level value. If we have a higher purpose that we can all agree on, then we respect each individual's contribution. The finance team has its own perspective on what's important, but their viewpoint is really important. The marketing has its own push on what we need to do immediately. That's important as well, as is the HR teams, as is the business and the sales teams, 
And therefore, all of those people are agreeing that this is the bigger purpose of the organization. And here's a bigger priority in terms of what the organization needs to do in the short to medium term. And if that's possible, obviously that's ideal. Um, so that's what is right. The right thing is, is to say it depends. There's more than one right thing. The, can we agree on a bigger purpose, bigger than ourselves? Something that's positive, something that makes the world a better place. And then can we then treat each other with respect that you have something that I perhaps can have think of, can have do well, and then respect to your contribution to that solution. And that perhaps is the best way um, to recognize um, that that's the, that's the way to go forward in terms of solving some of these big, vast, layered, complex problems. I love that you clarified that. Thank you very much because you're completely right there. Um, I was I was trying to make up a falling on each side when in fact it's it's all of the sides at the same time, right? Um, yeah, and I I thank you very much for that because because we tend to forget it, and and even I tend to forget it. Although the whole podcast is about looking at all the different sides and how can we bring this together. So yeah. Thank you very much for uh, doing that. The podcast is part of a bigger thing that I'm starting right now. It's called the Academy of Future Skills, yes. um, a community of practice slash think tank slash consultancy. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about um, what's your principal purpose? What are you most excited about with this project? Um. There are actually two things I want to say. One that is just on the on a side note, I want to say, this is what I'm going to start with that first because that's pretty easy told, is the fact that I'm actually going to build that company, that it's actually wow. become a company and that, that everything that it, it involves and that I'm going to learn with that. Wow. Um, but that is just on the side note. The, yeah. the thing that makes me more excited about it is... The fact that I found so many people who want to work with me on that and who want to see that vision happening right. and that it forms a community of itself and that when I tell people about that, they're all like, oh my God, yes, you're right. And we need that. So how people jump on board very easily, how I've obviously seemed to have touched a nerve with that. Oh, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what makes me very excited about that. And what's the second one? Uh, well, the, the second one was the one that I said first. It's like actually building a company, actually making it happen, actually creating the, the frame where that can happen. Because it's also, um, I'm, well, I don't want to build a normal company. I want to like do it right and think about a lot of stuff. Um, so I'm looking into like, I'm not quite sure if you, how familiar you are with that, but there are. In, in Great Britain, there's a company form called, uh, I think, Social Interest Companies. Uh -huh. um, so it's, it's, it's a company form that is actually built to make something social happen, right? And um, in Germany and France, there's a similar form, um, which I'm looking into if I want to register it in Germany or in France, um, but sometimes... Um, People, is, especially with an English-speaking background, know about the British company forum. Um, 
a community interest, not social interest, community interest company. Uh-huh. And um, what that means and what that entails, for example, is there's no focus on profit like normal companies do, right? The, the purpose of normal companies are, is profit. Um, with that um, community interest companies, for example, it's not. So you can't, um, um, how, how do I say that? Well, you can't earn too much money for yourself with that company, for example. Yeah. But you really have to reinvest it into the community that you're helping and you need to have a social purpose. All of those stuff that I'm really excited to, that there's the opportunity that I can make that happen with the academy. And yes, it's, it's the learning curve is really amazing right now. Yeah. You did mention that you were very interested in the community aspect of it last time we spoke. And that's um, extremely um, admirable for me right now, given the state of the world, you know. Um, yes. I was thinking about the conversation and uh, where you had been focusing on previous years and how you've been slowly building towards it. And I think it's marvelous, Saskia, that you're building towards something that's almost running counter to what the industries are doing mm-hmm. right now and the great detriment to society, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I don't want to do business as usual because I see what it does to the world. Um, just like a few weeks ago, two weeks or something, I uh, wrote a blog post about that, that I'm going to build that company, how I'm going to build that company, how I'm going to look into different things. Um, and that's exactly what you said. It, it came up there as well. Um, the so, so in my opinion, I know that is a very, very reduced version of what's happening. I'm, I'm aware of that. But in, in my story, there's basically three ways to do it. Do business as usual, which is not an option for me because I don't want to pay into that system that, that we already have that destroys the environment, that destroys the souls of people, that isn't just good for anybody in the system except for a few. So I don't want to pay into that system. The other way is doing something that is sustainable. And I don't like that term either because it still means you're sustaining the system, right? You're still trying to, to keep that somehow. You may be doing it better, but you're still trying to play in the same playing ground. And I'm not up for that. Mm-hmm. Like, because basically it won't change anything. It just will support exactly the first system. So the third version is to just build your own playing field. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and that's what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Wow. And it is, it's, sometimes it's a pain in the ass. A lot of times it's, it just breaks your head because you're like, okay, hold on. But like, does not compute that, that does, how does that make the logical thread, right? Um. But also, I personally think it's very exciting. It's very, it's, it's hell damn time we do stuff like that. It's hell, hell necessary that we do stuff like that. And uh, yeah, we'll see how far that takes me and where that takes me. Yeah. I had one question bubble up for me. I don't know if you have the time. Can I ask it? Yeah, sure, sure. One of the things that I've seen is I've always reached out to different communities because I enjoy it. Sometimes it feels like a solitary path to be a solo developer or an entrepreneur. And therefore, I've always needed and craved community and I've reached out. And I wanted to ask you, Saskia, how are you going to balance your self-care 
and your need to take care of yourself, right? Ultimately, mm-hmm. majority of your day is going to be spent building this organization. I'm sure it goes, a lot of love and passion goes into it and therefore you will need it to support you in, in ways as well. How do you balance that component with pouring in all of your love to build this community and bringing other people in who we have their own ways of working, their own agendas? Because I've seen in some communities, they've said, let's gather and we will provide support. But once I got in, humans, what they really want is to be able to show numbers on a tech platform so that they can sell it and have sell betrayed. But I know at the same time, as an entrepreneur, that they are doing what they need to do. Of course, they need to survive. And we all know that it's really hard uh, to pour in so much effort to build in a wider, robust community and do all this for all these kinds of people without funding. Everybody needs it. Um, so because I've observed it, and I'm asking you purely in terms of how do you take care of yourself because yeah, I can sense the sincerity of what's coming on out of you. Um, two things that I want to say to that. Um, the one is what's my what's my personal balance to that? Yeah. Um, and I might need to tell you another story for that. Um, I do have, I want to say, my life goal. And I call it the garden concept. Yeah. Meaning at some point in my life, I, I just like want to have my little house with a little garden and some little cats in it. And I just want to sit there all day, read, drink coffee. Every once in a while, people come by and I have cool conversations that kind of stimulate my brain. But that's kind of like my life dream, right? What I'm doing with that academy is collecting exactly those people who want to come by and have a coffee with me and talk about amazing things. Um, And I do have a lot of these people in my environment already, like Brain tickling conversations are the thing I run on. Kind of that I want to say. So, so what I'm doing with the academy is creating that at least like the virtual version of that or the the imaginary version of that, and collecting those people who come to me and have a cool conversation to me and tickle my brain. So I kind of build the the self care part into the company already yeah. to collect those people That's and have them. Um, but the second thing that you mentioned, and I, I made exactly the same experience, like you get into a, in a community and then suddenly you're just a number or you're just like a working horse that is supposed, is supposed to give everything. And especially I figured with um, like all those groups, women in, women in tech, women in engineering, women in, I, I don't know. Yeah, very much focused on that. Like, yeah, we're all a big family, but can you please work for the family? And can you please, like, seriously? And I had that, yeah, and I had that experience with a group here. Well, it it is an international group, but it originated here in France. And the owner or the the founder is just not interested in any kind of personal communication. It's just, uh, you can see that in in the marketing effort. It's mostly about her. It's mostly how she travels around the world, who she meets, all of that. It's, it's basically just a personal marketing show. Yes. And I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not up for that. And if that means I don't meet any num- because also what these companies are doing is they're playing exactly the same game just with another label. Yeah. It's now the label women in whatever, but it's still the same game. 
and I'm not up for playing that game. So I know I won't. And if that means, like, this is why I have, like, the consulting part in the company. So on the one hand, as I said, we have the community of practice. The other side is the consultancy part, because my idea is that I can build a community where people can learn about new skills. But then you take those people, bring them back into the companies, and they don't have a place where they can lift those skills and where companies can actually benefit from that skills, right? So the companies need to create that space. And that's the consultancy part that I want to do. So actually going into companies on the strategy level, doing workshops, doing trainings, doing coachings with the, with the C-level um, to actually plant that mindset in their head. And this part will be the major, I want to say, income part. So I'm, I don't have to focus on the numbers. I don't have to build in a system that makes me hustle and makes me exploit the people in the comp uh, in the in the community. So yeah, I love it. I, I have met. I have to say, I'm so much of what you're saying is hundred percent resonating with me. And I want to add um um an experience of support there as well mm -hmm. to your point because I have met people like yourself who are out there very confident in their competence and skill, and they have separated the two. They have a, an income stream, a revenue stream, a focus area for their own work. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, correctly, their income, their brand. And then separate from that, they have built credible creativities of support that are really pushing the needle on support right. the world. And I've seen it done and I'm sensing that sincerity from you, which is such a marvelous thing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying to do that. And also, I'm trying to kind of separated from myself I don't want to be the picture boy for the whole thing because also on on a on a longer term my idea is um basically at some point the community will be way more clever and has way more knowledge than I personally can ever encounter yeah. so yeah. at some point I kind of want to um I want to lend the community to the companies. Yeah. So, so what is, what is yes. in the community should then come into the companies. But what I don't want to do is then sit there and, and have all the gains and the community gets nothing for their yeah. efforts. Yeah. So at some point I want to like pay back to the community, yeah. Yeah. Um, the money that is made with the company part, the business part of the consultancy part. Um, should go back into the community. And so I don't want to make it about me. I don't want to be the picture boy for because yeah. it would block me from doing exactly that, from giving back. So, yeah. I find this thing fascinating because it's, and you've worked in tech too, haven't you? You know yeah. that promoters are very important in startups for a particular reason because your dynamism, your vision, your sense of purpose that infects the whole movement and brings followers so that's such an important energy. At the same time, we have all seen that it's very hard then to separate uh, the the person from the organization later because it was founded on that dynamism and charisma. It um, it's a fascinating thing how we scale and how we then give it life of its own that's independent. In any case, I could have this conversation with you, Saskia. And I always find that with you, I could talk and talk about so many things. Right. I'd love and this. I'd not kind of fits perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
Because it does fit very well into the conversation of psychological safety, right? Building something where psychological safety for everybody involved is the foundation where you're not thinking about which numbers do I want to meet? And then let's build psychological safety on top of it. But it's which numbers can I meet? With the foundation of psychologically or psychological safety in mind, um, what can I build when my, I want to say, the thing that is non-discussable is that I want to have psychological safety in all the layers and the foundation. And um, that is the community. That is how I do business. This is how I deal about with myself, how I care about myself, just by also like the question of the self-care very much. Yes. Um yeah, it's all of it, isn't it? Agree, agree, agree. And and we basically come back to the beginning of the holistic view on things. And I really um, liked what we were going through the last hour ish. Um, so thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for for sharing and all sharing your ideas, guiding me through the process as well. Um, it, it was a blast. I had a wonderful time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Saskia. I always enjoy your conversations. I think you uh, bring in, find up so many ideas and share so many new, fresh perspectives for me that I always walk away thinking, man, we could have done that for four more hours and I could have learned so much more. Thank you. That is true. Yeah. Thank you very much. If People want to have an equally cool and awesome conversation with you now as well. If they want to know more about psychological safety, if they want to know more about the DEI movement, how to maybe include that in their company as well, how can they reach you? What's the best oh, way to reach out to you? for the shout out. Um, I am uh, very present on LinkedIn. I uh, blog and post about important issues on leadership development um, and organizations and ethics, DEI on LinkedIn and Kaumudi Goda. I also have a website. I call it The Human Conversation, which is very aligned to your own philosophy. I think by together conversing, exchanging ideas and learning from each other is how we make the world a better place. So find me at The Human Conversation or on LinkedIn. I'll definitely put the links in the show notes and uh, people can click on it and uh, be there with you right away. <laughs> Cool. Again, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you very much for being here. I really enjoyed how we went through things. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation that will then take place in private, but um, I'm sure there will be a, a continuation to that. So thank, thank you very way. much. Have a great rest of the day and talk to you soon. Bye. It's family. Thanks for being a part of this conversation with my future skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. Hear you next time.